0: The Tanya of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi, taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky. Tanya's text, elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg.
1: We learned last week, he's explaining how, if the world is created as Hashem's communication, how something gets lost in the translation because the divine energy encloses itself through the, uh, the ministering angels and therefore as a result the world gets coarsened and disconnected and with a sense a false sense of independence which is idolatrous until the Mashiach will come and then the entire world will be transformed everyone will recognize Hashem, evil and death will come to an end um, because godliness will be revealed. All evil and death as a result of the concealment. Godliness will be revealed and transparent. Then the whole world will be transformed. Up until that point, the Shekhinah is an exile. The Shekhinah, which is God's speech with which God communicates and creates the world Hashem's language and Hashem's speech is in exile. If you will, it's like the wor- words are garbled. It's like a puzzle and the pieces have been all mixed. Or words, letters have been completely mixed out of order and it appears to be gibberish. The words are not saying anything, are not conveying. The original words are very clear. But then, when the words all get scrambled, then it becomes completely opaque. The message, the content, is completely hidden and concealed. It becomes like a riddle. It becomes completely uh, how do you decipher it? Like nonsense, meaninglessness. Shakespeare said, right, saying, uh, signifying nothing. A lot of sound and fury, signifying nothing. So the whole world and but what does it say what's its content what's it all about did that become completely opaque and hidden and concealed that's exile the shina is an exile the inner content what it's really all about what it's really saying what it's really trying to convey is hidden and concealed and all you see is the letters and the more hidden it is the more prominent the letters are see ordinarily if you read in your language you don't even notice the letters Yeah, I barely even see the letters. They did a study, it's a very famous study, and it's been going around the Internet, where they took a whole paragraph. Every word was completely misspelled. Completely misspelled, like ridiculously misspelled. And yet, anyone who reads English could read through it and know exactly what these... Because no one really looks at the letters. You're seeing the letters, but you're seeing the content, you don't even pay attention. But if you don't understand the letters when you read a Chinese newspaper that's <laughs> all you see is the letters the shape and the form That's all you notice to the person who's read Chinese doesn't, doesn't even look at it doesn't even notice but if there's no content the less the content if there's no content all you see is the external so we are God's language but language words and letters contain an idea the content So if you speak the language, holiness, when you speak the language and you understand the letters and the letters are not scrambled and the letters are clear, you have the Torah and the letters are put together properly, God creates the world through the Torah and the Torah, all the letters in the proper place, I look, but what do I see? I see the content. I look at this world, but what do I see? I see Hashem. What's the divine purpose and what's my divine mission and what's the connection and what's it all about and what's the meaning? But when the, the Shekhinah is in exile and the letters are scrambled, then the external becomes very prominent. And that's all I see. And it becomes opaque. I can't see past it. And the more dense and coarse and crass the world becomes till you can get past physical existence, just existing, indulgence, pleasure, as an end in itself being as an end in itself existing as an end in itself continuing my existence as an end in itself money, power, fame that's all that matters there is nothing else so that's the Shekhinah it's the letters it's the divine language but the Shekhinah that's inside is an exile the Shekhinah is there it's an exile completely covered up and concealed until the time Mashiach will come when there won't be any cover up anymore Everything will be reconnected, everything will become crystal clear, and then we'll see the inner content, we'll see the endless, we'll see the truth.
2: The after Rebbe now returns to the theme of the Divine Spark in exile. This sustenance of idolatry through the Divine Spark is also called the exile of the Shekhinah. For this life force, which is in a state of exile within them, as previously explained, stems from the radiation issued to them from the spark of the word of Hashem, which is called Shahina in the terminology of the sages as mentioned above. According to the above, however, it would seem that this state of exile has existed since the creation of the world, with all its impure animals, etc. What do we mean, then, when we say that the Shahina was exiled? This question is answered in the following parenthetical passage. And this exile, brought about by the fact that the Klippok derived the life, their life forth from the spark of Hashem's creative speech, stems from the sin of the tree of knowledge and onwards. For from that time, Klippok were able to receive a degree of vitality that they did not have until this point.
1: When God created the world, the Medrash tells us that the Shechina, God's presence, was manifest in this world. That's what it means. This world was a Garden of Eden because Hashem's presence was manifest. It was open. It was transparent. Evil was unseen. Unseen, unheard. It was completely separated and apart from holiness as a result of the sin. Adam was banished from the Garden of Eden. And the whole world became coarsened and degraded. As a result of this sin, there was an infusion and a mixture between the good and the evil, which gave a tremendous boost, a tremendous uh, injection of life force to evil. And now everything became completely confused and intermingled and mixed together. So that's when the first—that's what began the Golos Hashchina, the exile of the Shina. Till then, the Shchina was clear, and there was no—and there was a separation, clear the separation between the holiness and the opposite. But starting with Adam, Adam's sin, he caused a mingling of the of holiness and the opposite. Which, which is characterized here as the Golos Hashkina. This is the exile of the Shkina. The Shkina is there, but it's an exile. It's bound up, it's tied up, it's imprisoned. So this energy, this infusion of energy uh, was injected into the klipa, into the shell.
2: However, they receive their vitality only from the hindmost, from the lowest and most external dimension of holiness.
1: Because like klipa is a shell, it's the surface so it's the it's the back of the of holiness. It's like when you hate something, you turn, you throw it behind your back. You don't you don't want to face them. So Hashem gave life and sustenance to evil, is giving life and sustenance to the negativity, to ego and arrogance, but he's giving it like he's holding his nose and he's giving it like from his back. It's not face-to-face transmission, it's from the back, so it's external. And then comes the primary goal of the Shekhinah, which took the exile of the Shekhinah to a whole new level. And that began with the exile of the Jewish people. Because the original exile of the Shekhinah, which started with the original sin, yes, it was an exile, but that sustenance, that sustenance of, of transmission of energy from holiness... To the negative side is an external transmission. It's like from the back. But when the Jewish people went into exile, since the Jews are connected to the face, to the internal, so when they went into exile, the transmission of the divine energy is from the inside. So this gave a tremendous boost and elevation to the negative forces, to negativity.
0: Which exile was
1: that? The, he's talking about the destruction of the temple. The destruction of the temple. Uh, here is specifically our destruction, the destruction of the second temple. You know, Klippa is like a bubble. There's nothing there. Until you, and, but, and then it pops. And it's as if it never existed. Think of communism. It lasted 70 years, 80 years. Terrified the whole world. And then, boom, overnight, like the bubble <laughs> busts as if it never happened. As if it never existed. Think of financial bubbles. It takes years and decades for things to rise, and then one day, one hour, two, three weeks, trillions of dollars, gone, vanish, never to appear again. It's just a bubble. But what feeds the bubble? There's an energy that feeds the bubble. So it's one thing if the Klippa... So when God created the world, Klippa was like shunned, was like completely divorced and separated from holiness. It wasn't even seen. Then as a result of Adam's sin, now he gave an elevation to Klippa. Now Klippa became intermingled with holiness and uh, we've been spending our time ever since trying to clarify and to separate the good from the evil and the holy from the impure, the pure and impure, etc. But when the Jewish people went into exile, with the destruction of the temple, we gave a surge. We injected this whole new life force, created a bubble, because Klipah really has no substance. It's only the energy that we give to it that we sustain it and we create it. That's the source of life. Kalipa has no life on its own. Shell, the shell has no life on its own. The impurity has no life of its own. Ego, arrogance, has no li- reality. But when we inject, take the energy of holiness, and we, in a misguided way, we take that energy and we... Uh, invest that energy into the other side instead of investing that Jewish creativity and that Jewish holy energy into holiness, into godliness into Torah and mitzvot and we take all that energy and that creativity and we direct it towards the other side we inject the other side with a tremendous vitality and life force which creates a bubble now like all bubbles eventually it's going to burst as he just said Mashiach will come evil will come to an end because the ultimate bubble will burst there's no reality to it but while it lasts it's it's because of this injection that we the Jewish people are injecting this life force vitality into this bubble this negative into this negativity that's the ultimate galos that's when the shechina is really in pain when the shechina is really hurting the shechina is really imprisoned in exile that the forces of holiness when holiness is exiled amongst the forces of impurity
0: oh but when the Jewish people were exiled among nations and the Jewish people are attached and rooted in the supernal countenance Panim or Panimius, i.e., the innermost aspect of divinity. This became a total exile. But then the innermost aspect of divinity was also drawn down to the patron angels and the nations, as explained at length in the Gerah HaShuva, chapter six. See there. Of this, our sages of blessed memory said: When the Jewish people were exiled to Edom, the Shepina accompanied them.
1: Because since we are rooted within the in the in the Divine. Even in our sinful state, we are rooted in, we remain rooted in the divine. So we take all that divine energy and we direct it and energize the negativity. We create that bubble. We give it more life. We sustain it and we give it more life than it would ever have on its own. It doesn't have that life on its own. It's limited. Because it never really had any real substance. When we inject in it, that life force, we give it a new lease on life.
3: Now though Hashem is one and His name is one, though His speech and the breath of His mouth, which is the sacred Zohar, is referred to as His name, is singularly and uniquely one. Nevertheless, the radiation and efflux of life force, which issues forth from His mouth, divides into four different levels. These are the four worlds, Hatzilut, Beriah, Yetzirah, and Asiyah. The difference is due to many contractions and screens that veil and obscure the light and the life force, so that it will not radiate in the world of barrier as much as in the world of Atsilut. and in the world of Yetzira, the opaqueness is thickened by the means of further contractions and screens, and so on. How much more so in the world of Asiya. Nevertheless, there is no change whatever. Heaven forfend in the essence of the Shekhinah, which is the word of Hashem and the breath of his mouth. Also, as regards the radiation and efflux of life force that issues from the word of Hashem. The radiation which is in the world of Atzilut pierces the screen and vests itself in the world of Beria. Likewise, from the world of Beria to the world of Yitzira, and from the world of Yitzira to the world of Asir. Hence, the infinite aim so flight which is the world of Atzilut, is also present in the world of Asiya, and even in this material world, by being invested in this era of Malchut, of the worlds of Beria, Yetzirah, and Asiya, as fully explained in the writings of Rabbi Isaac Luria of Blessed Memory. Now it is known to all that the soul of man, the soul of, of the Jew, is compounded in the ten spheros, Chochma, Bina, Daat, and so on. Is explained in Though these corresponding faculties of the soul all derive from the breath of Hashem's mouth, as it is written, and He blew into the nostrils the soul of life. The term "He blew" indicates that the divine soul derives from the animal spirit and vitality of the creator, as explained in Tanya and Sha'are Yehud of the Nevertheless, each of these ten faculties of the soul is particularly connected with one of the ten supernal sifros uh, as follows. More specifically, the Chabad in one soul, one's intellective uh, faculties of Chochmah, Bina, and Da'at are analogous to divine uh, intellective emanations of Chabad in the ten spheres. These are referred to as Abba and Ima. In the Zohar, the sphere of Chochmah, of the world of Atzilut, is termed Abba, Father, and the Sphera of Bina, of the world of Atzilut, is termed ima, Mother, while the sphere of Da'at is a combination of the two as explained in the teachings of Hasidut. The emotive attributes in one's soul of the love and fear of Hashem and so on are analogous to the first six midot. Or divine emotive attributes in the ten shikirot, which are collectively known as the ear on pin the minor visage, and the faculty of one's speech is one's soul, is analogous to the supernal speech, which is known as the Sphera of Malchut or the Shechina. Hence, since the Jew's speech is analogous to supernal speech, the Shechina, when speaking words of Torah, one arouses supernal speech, the Sphera of Malchut. Thereby unifying the linking it to the preceding stages of emanation. That is why it is established that, for the reading of Shema, to the grace after meals, and for the study of words of Torah, one is not disturbed by, by meditation without speech.
1: The whole universe is based on speech, even though. It's called Shem, it's only Shem. As we said earlier, it's just a name, it's external, it's superficial, just like a name is superficial to a person, speech is superficial to a person. But nevertheless, Hashem and His speech are one. Hashem and His name are one. So Hashem is found in His speech, in all the forms of speech, whether the speech that's creating the world of emanation, or the speech till the speech that's creating our physical world, but this is the divine speech. So Hashem himself, Hashem's infinite light, is found in this world. Through Hashem's speech, Hashem is communicating, the speech conveys Hashem, Hashem's infinite self. Speech is just conveys what's on the inside. So Hashem's speech conveys... Himself, Hashem The name and Hashem are one. Hashem's name and and He is and Hashem Himself are one. So Hashem's speech communicates, conveys. What's the content of the speech? The infinite, Hashem Himself. So even the speech, of the lowest world, Malchus of the world of Asiya, the Malchus, the speech that creates the physical world the divine utterances that creates this physical world. But these, it's a divine utterance that conveys and brings Hashem into this world. And that's why a man who's created the image of Hashem, it's critical. And Halacha expresses this, and this is the whole essence of of Yiddishkeit, that it's important for us to speak. To speak words of Torah to speak the grace, say the grace after the meal, to say the Shema, to verbalize, to move your mouth and speak. Because it's only by us speaking that we connect with the divine speech. And just like the divine speech brings down the infinite light, that's what speech does, speech conveys and reveals, the Shechina reveals and conveys and manifests, brings down Hashem in a revealed way, so when through our speech, when we speak words of Torah, it's not enough just to think Torah, to study Torah cerebrally, but by actually mouthing the words and saying the words, and that's what the halachic obligation is. You can't just sit quietly and read. You have to physically mouth the words, otherwise you don't fulfill your obligation. Studying Torah, or reading the Shema, or saying grace, or praying. So it's when you actually mouth the words... That you're revealing and conveying and manifesting and connecting and arousing the divine speech, the Hashem, the infinite light. So that's the power of speech. That's holy speech. That's the speech that Hashem desires. But then you also have every plus, every positive as a negative you also have the opposite. You have negative speech. That's the enemy. The opposition to holy speech. And that's when the Shekhinah is in exile. When the divine speech is in exile. Is in exile in its counterpart, which is negative speech. So for example, he's going to say, when a person is praying, that's holy speech. And then there is this idolater, this anti-Semite, who's using his speech to discourage your prayer, to interfere with your prayer, to protest your prayer. To try to stop you from praying, that is the Shekhin as an exile. Because he's using speech, language and speech, using his mouth, which is where does speech come from? Hashem's speech, which is Hashem's revelation which is Hashem's Shechina, Hashem's manifestation. And the whole world is based on speech and language. Our whole universe is based on words and language and speech and communication because the whole world is created through the divine speech. So he's utilizing his power of speech, which ultimately comes from Hashem's speech, and he's utilizing that speech to try to stop, to interfere with the holy speech, with a Jew sitting and using his mouth to pray. So that's the ultimate exile of the Shekhinah. The Shekhinah is an exile where words are being used to oppose God. Words are one. The Shechina, which is the language and words, are really one with the content of the words. The whole idea of words and language is to convey and to communicate and to reveal what's in the inside, which is Hashem, Godliness. And a Jew is using those words and his mouth and his language, and that's our only strength, our words, our mouth, our language. Hakol, kol, Yakov, that's... Our whole power is a power of prayer, our power of Torah study to reveal Hashem, and the Jew is trying to connect and reveal and fulfill his divine mission. Comes along the opposite, the opposition, utilizing words and his language and his mouth. To spoo hatred, venom, venomous anti-Semitism and try to stop the Jew from praying and connecting is there a greater exile of the Shekhinah because where does he get the power to speak who is giving him language, who is giving him the power to speak, Hashem it comes from Hashem's speech and it's all about a Jew speaking and revealing and continuing that speech revelation of Hashem and here we have this tremendous opposition words and language are being used to defy Hashem
4: now Hashem created this opposite that since the entire dynamic of the holy side of the universe has its counterpart in the other side the above mentioned ten spheroid of holiness, and likewise the ten corresponding faculties of the godly soul, each have their unholy counterpart. There are ten crowns of impurity. From these issue the soul of the nations, which are also comprised of the very same ten
2: levels.
1: It's the exact opposite. If it's all about ego and it's all about self-preservation and it's all about I and it's all about me and myself and my career and my, and my fame and my money and my power and myself, that's the antithesis and the exact opposite of the ten holy sfirot, which, are, which is God-centered. Hashem hachad, Hashem God is one. It's all about Hashem. God-focused. So a Jew is God-focused. His whole being, his whole essence is I am here to do Hashem's wish and I am here to do Hashem's will and I am just here to partner with Hashem and to utilize my mouth to speak and to reveal and to draw down and to manifest the infinite into my life and into this world. Now, what's the point? Why... Did Hashem allow for the forces of holiness to be in exile in the forces of unholiness, of its opposite? The Shun.
4: exposition of Sefer Hagil Gulim on the verse that man rules over man, so his de- to his detriment, is common knowledge.
1: So there he explains on a deeper level, King Solomon says, that a person, one person controls the other person to hurt him. But on a deeper level, the Kabbalists explain that when klippa when evil wins, when evil triumphs, it's actually, it's to its own detriment. It sounds very mystical. Evil is winning and it's actually to its own detriment. It's like a the analogy the Kabbalists use is like a blood sucker. When the when it sucks your blood, what happens? And it's full and it's satiated. What happens? It dies. See, evil. Evil. Is only its strength is. In its aspiration, in its dream, in its desire. Once evil is fulfilled and evil is satisfied, it dies. Millions of people gave up their life for communism. They they were mesmerized by it. They they were so taken by it. They were ready to kill and to die for it. But once it was implemented and it was realized, this this is Venezuela, Argentina. The former Soviet Union, it just collapsed. It, 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 there's nothing there. When a person sins, it's not so much the sin, it's the pursuit of sin. <laughs> All the excitement is the pursuit, the dream, the hope. That's the whole excitement. Mm-hmm. Once you fulfill it, it's empty. The pursuit of materialism. Pursuit of materialism. It's, oh, if I'm only going to have this, I'll be happy. And you keep on running and you keep on chasing of course there's nothing there and once you once you arrive and you get it it's a letdown it's a disappointment the fun lasts for a second and a half it's like chewing gum it tastes good for a second and then you spit it out it's over it's finished the whole excitement is the pursuit the temptation is the pursuit the actual event it's a a letdown so once the bloodsucker receives its blood and it's satiated and it's full, it sucks the blood out of you. Once it takes blood out of you, it dies. It's over. People, all the people, all these false prophets and these false promises, people, oh, uh, it's the greatest thing that ever happened. And then once they get their wish, it's over. It's finished. So instead of... Most people are very discouraged when they see that evil is winning. They get very discouraged. i will never get better. We lost. We're on the losing side. No, when evil wins, it's over. Evil collapses. There's nothing there. It's the ultimate bubble. There's nothing to sustain it. It'll just collapse in its own weight. Once it's, the dream is realized... It was all a lie. There's nothing there. So that's what King Solomon means on a deeper level: that Adam, that God allows negativity, the evil, to subdue Adam, 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 which is holiness. He allows holiness to be conquered and vanquished by evil so you would think you throw them the towel the world is going to hell it's all over look what's going on they're winning the bad guys are winning they're destroying the family and they're destroying everything that's sacred and everything that's holy and they're getting away with murder don't be fooled for a second you know it's about to collapse you know the whole lie is about to fall apart because it's all lies Beginning, middle, and end. There's no reality to it. It's all illusions and distortions and lies. There was, never was any substance to it. It's all bluff. It's all fake. It's all a farce. And when the farce grows, you know, the bubble is about to pop. It's about to burst. It's all going to be washed away and cleansed away. And... So it, it's, their own de- it's to their own detriment. The purpose why Hashem allows evil to win temporarily it's because this is the way to get rid of evil. Let evil win, you know what happens? It's finished. It dies. Hitler's year. Th- Hitler's thousand-year Reich lasted uh, too long, but it, it died after twelve years. Forever gone. Forever. Communism gone forever except a few here in America trying to resurrect it (laughs) but the evil once it's realized people think they get away with murder all the Osloists they gave us this program this evil program that led to ruin and mayhem and destruction and once it's realized it collapses it's because it's all false there's not even one iota of truth, not even one shred of truth. Land for peace, surrender, weakness, it's all, it's all lies, 100% of lies, not even one iota of truth behind it. Propaganda, distortions, lies, intimidation, ego, arrogance, trying to rearrange nature, oh, we're going to rearrange the world. what so communism was. We're going to rearrange nature. Okay. You know, we see how that went. You can't rearrange nature. There's a man and a woman and there's there's nature the way a God created the world. So even temporarily they may appear to be winning. Don't be fooled for a second. This is all going to disappear. People are going to look back at this in history and are going to say this was like a blip in history. It was a moment of insanity it's all going to be washed away cleansed it's self-destructive you win that means you're about to self-destruct <laughs> they become so arrogant that they just self-destruct that's the nature of evil ego they're so arrogant they're so arrogant they don't even have a clue they're so out of touch so when they win they become more arrogant they're more out of touch and then they don't even know it hit them when they self-destruct. <laughs> because the whole thing collapses. The whole thing falls apart. It's a bubble. It's a falsehood. The whole premise was false. The whole underlying assumption was false. Everything about it was false. So once they win and it becomes exaggerated and stretched out, the whole balloon pops. And there's nothing left it 's a much very profound insight into the realities of life why Hashem allowed the Shina to go into exile not because we 're so weak and uh, God is allowing them to get away with murder, not getting away with anything. On the contrary, this is paving the road to their collapse, exposing them because it 's only in the promise people are so taken by the lies once it 's implemented. Uh-huh. And you're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna lick, lick, as they say in Yiddish, you're gonna lick and honey. You're gonna lick honey. All these promises, all these false promises. Once it comes into real life, it's so bitter. The reality is so bitter, and the reality is so far from anything you imagine. And all the fun lasted for a second and a half, if that. And then it's a dead end. There's nothing there. So once it's exposed, fully exposed for what it really is. So let it play out. Okay, you won. You got away with murder. We're going to let you play it all out to the end. To the end. You're finished. You're gone for good.
2: That means all of our desires are going to end in disaster?
1: No, when we desire things that are unwholesome. We're talking about negative desires.
2: So a desire for money, that's unwholesome?
1: Not necessarily. You can do good things with money as long as it's a means to an end.
2: So you have to state that before the fact. You can't just say, I'd like to have a lot of money. But you have to say, this is why oh, i like to well, have a lot of money. Well, pe-
1: if people, otherwise it becomes an addiction. Yes, when people, when money becomes an end in itself, when instead of loving people and using money, you start loving money and using people and you become obsessed with money and money becomes an end in itself, it's a very tragic, pathetic uh, existence.
2: So you have to know what, your desi- what the reason for your desire is.
1: Absolutely. That's what holiness is. Holiness, there's, everything is in proportion. There's a means and there's an end. Materialism is important. That's why the Kabbalists refer to it as a shell. A shell serves a purpose. To preserve the fruit, you need a shell. You need a healthy body in order to, to, to have a healthy neshama, a healthy soul. But everything is in proportion. You know what's the means and what's the end. Means are very important, but as long as it's only a means and not an end. The problem is when you throw away the fruit, discard the fruit and start munching on the shell, you're going to get a (laughs) stomachache. It's it's not going to have a happy ending. You're meant to take the shell and discard the shell and eat the fruit. So you you have to have that balance in life. But if you don't have that clarity, then everything becomes distorted and everything becomes very negative. Then materialism becomes an addiction. Materialism becomes a prison and materialism becomes something very negative. And that's why instead of being joyful in life and looking at those who are less fortunate than you and being grateful and thankful to Hashem for all the gifts that we have, instead, no matter how much money you have, you're constantly jealous and envious of someone who has more than you and your life is miserable. You're blessed. God blessed you with tremendous wealth. And you'll still be miserable because the other one has an extra bedroom in his house. I only have, to, I have 25 bedrooms and he has 26 <coughs> bedrooms. So my life is a failure and my life is miserable. So this is... You know, that, that's tragic. But when you're happy and grateful and joyful and appreciative all the gifts that we have, the material blessings. You know, by the way, they did a study. It's very fascinating. After a certain amount, you basically have what you need. I mean, a person makes a certain amount of money. You have a quarter million dollars. You have what you need. What do I need? It's not like I'm looking for, you have, you can live a good life. It reaches a point where you have what you need. And then... It doesn't really change much if I have, unless you become super rich and then you have these crazy... But I'm saying for most people, it's not like your life changes, you know? You're you're comfortable, you have what you need. I'm eating, and I have my clothes, and I have my home. I I have what I need. I don't need... So you're not a a prisoner of money. You don't have to become a, a prisoner, you know? Money is a means to an end. It could be very liberating, and you could do tremendously wonderful things with it. But as long as you are using the money, and not the money is controlling you, so yes. So that's the so that's what he's saying. That the reason why Hashem is explaining here why Hashem allows allows holiness, allows the Jewish people to be in exile, and allows holiness to be in exile. Ultimately, the purpose. Because this is what's going to expose the clipper. This is what's going to expose the negativity and pop the bubble. This is what's going to lead, yes, it leads to the ultimate bubble. And in the short term, it appears very ominous. Because we're injecting all this life and evil is on the rise and negativity is successful and, and lies are successful, are triumphing. But don't be fooled for a moment. The inner reason what's really going on, the inner dynamic is that this is this is just to make sure that evil will be completely eradicated forever and ever. It's to its own detriment. If evil knew what was going on, it wouldn't be so excited. <laughs> but evil is so arrogant that they're clueless about everything, they're clueless about this also. If you remember during the Iraqi war, American Iraqi war, if you can call it a war. So the, the media was interviewing the uh, the, the minister of uh, communications for Saddam Hussein. The tanks are right behind them, and he saying, "We're winning the war. We're destroying the enemy." Who's in a bomb? <laughs> the tanks are right behind them. American tanks are right behind them, uh, invading the city. You know they're so clueless; <laughs> they have no idea the war is over. The devil says, open your eyes, the war is over, we're about to march in, we're about to, Mashiach is ready, a second away. And evil says, no, we're winning, it's better than ever, we're triumphing, we're... we're, we're... They're they so arrogant and so as they have no clue what's going on, they have no idea that the bubble is about to burst, it's all over. We're about to put the curtain down. Shem is about to uh, close the curtain once and for all and evil and death and pain and negativity etc so this is he's explaining the inner kabbalistic point of view the inner dynamic what's really going on and what it's really all about
4: First, to the mystery of the exile of the Shekhinah in the midst of the Kripot in order to animate them and to empower them to rule in the present time of exile man rules over man thus means that the evil man of Klippa rules over the sacred man, i.e. the holy side of the universe.
1: Because one side is opposite the other side. So there's man and there's man. Ha-adam ba-adam. The evil versus the good.
4: However, this temporary dominion of evil is to his ultimate detriment. For its underlying intent, the parts of holiness that are found in the evil be extracted and elevated. This is why the nations presently dominate the Jewish people. For the souls of the nations derived from the klipot, in which the Shekhinah is vested in a state of exile, empowering them to rule. Though extensive exposition is required as to how and what is the manner in which the Shekhinah is invested in the exile of the klipot, nevertheless, it is true so.
1: How do we explain it? How is it possible that the holy energy is in exile and is under the control, so to speak, and imprisoned and under control of the negative negative energy and negative forces, Uh, we can't explain. It's one of the mysteries. It's one of the divine mysteries how it's even possible. How could anything be in charge and control and triumph over holiness? Holiness is Hashem. Hashem is the only reality. The only real, the only substance. There is nothing else. There is no other side. All there is is Hashem. So how is it even possible that temporarily the divine energy is in exile? But that's one of the mysteries of creation. That's what Hashem wished. And that's the way it is. However you understand it, it's just a fact. Many things scientists can't explain. But they just describe facts. We can't explain electricity. We don't understand it. But it's a fact. We observe it. If you put your finger in the socket, <laughs> you'll discover very quickly what electricity is. Whether you understand it or not, it's still going to electrocute you. It's a reality. This is the realities of life. You understand it, you don't understand it, you understand it more, you understand it less. It doesn't change the reality. The reality is that this is the concept of Shekhinah in exile. Shekhinah in exile.
2: Despite this, the of the, and the nations receive their nurture and life force only from reflection. Extended to them from the hindmost dimension of holiness, in the manner of one who unwillingly throws something over his shoulder to his enemy, as explained in Tanya, chapter twenty-two.
1: Because the face is what you give with a smile. What does Hashem love? Hashem loves humility. Hashem loves genuineness. Hashem loves sincerity, wholeheartedness, um, humbleness. Hashem loves egolessness, kindness selflessness, goodness. This is what Hashem loves. Arrogance. Haughtiness. To brag and the whole assumption of I and ego. Hashem despises and hates. So to speak with every fiber of his being. Hashem despises. And yet, he sustains and gives so much life. And affluence, and success, and vitality, and health, to pure ego and pure arrogance, and he even lets them get away with murder. So Hashem does it like from his back, like like you you hate someone, like I have to do something, but I, I just hold my nose and I so there is a divine plan he just explained what the divine plan is but it's not that Hashem is doing it willingly and wholeheartedly Hashem can't even stand to look at them so to speak and he just throws it behind his back he says here take money take stocks take, <laughs> take have a good time but he does it unwillingly it's just a unnecessary evil so he tolerates it and he yeah, but he doesn't do it wholeheartedly Versus holiness, Hashem gives with a smile. Hashem gives wholeheartedly, willingly, lovingly. That's what Hashem loves. Holiness, humility, egoism, Jewishness.
2: And even that is by way of numerous and intense contractions and screams until this radiation becomes vested in the materiality of this world. Dispensing wealth and honor and all physical pleasures unto the nation.
1: It says when the Alter Rebbe was imprisoned, the author of Tanya was imprisoned during the time for Yudhis live, He was taken to St. Petersburg. The first time in his life that he uh, visited the capital, St. Petersburg. Has anyone in this room ever been to St. Petersburg? It's literally one of the nicest cities in the world. The opulence, the wealth... The Hermitage, the palaces—it's <laughs> breathtaking. So, when Alterev passed through, was in Saint Petersburg, he said, "Ezov says, "Chose this world." Yaakov chose the world to come. He chose spirituality. Ezov chose this world. He says, "You know, he didn't do so badly." Esav. <laughs> he 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 uh, he was, he knew, he knew, he he got what he wanted he got what he expected not bad because the opulence is literally breathtaking it's just something you have to experience it's an experience it's not just something you have to see it's literally an experience so Hashem gives these nations and you you, you know you read the history of these czars one was a murderer one was a mon- one monster bigger than the next I mean these are horrible despicable many of them most of them He had a few, very few exceptions. And yet God blessed them with tremendous affluence. You can't even imagine the level of affluence. It's just beyond imagination. Why would God bless them? Why would God give them so much wealth and so much power and so much influence and so much success? It's like you throw behind your back. There is a divine plan, and God needs them for this divine plan. But he hates them at the same time. So he throws them behind his back and gives them an abundance without calculation. Because he doesn't care. Because when he gives with a smile and he cares, he doesn't give an abundance without calculation. It's like a parent and a child. You don't spoil your child. You don't just give, throw money. You want your child to earn it. You want your child to deserve it. You want your child to appreciate it. You want your child to educate them. You give them... You give them, but you're also giving them... You're not handicapping them. Many times you give a person wealth, it just handicaps them. It's not a blessing, it could be the biggest curse. You give a person tremendous wealth and you can't handle it. There are people who have wealth and they're not on speaking terms of their own family. Destroyed, ruin their whole family. Is the, is the wealth worth it? Sometimes wealth could be the biggest curse. So when you don't care... And may we all be cursed though. don't get me wrong <laughs> but when you don't care you just throw take in abundance
2: Jews however elicit their sustenance from the supernal countenance as is written may Hashem make his countenance shine upon you each according to the source of his soul up to the most elevated of levels
1: but a Jew receives receives his uh, flow his divine from Hashem's face the smile of love and that's why it's not an abundance you have to earn it you have to deserve it you have to be worthy of it and then we're ready to receive it then it becomes a blessing then it's a blessing then the material is a blessing when everything is in the right proportion when you have the the um, the foundation for it and you have the proper attitudes and you have doesn't spoil you Then it becomes a tremendous blessing. But when money spoils you and changes you and gets to your head, it ruins you. I mean, there's some, there's a very famous Jewish playwright. I don't want to mention his name, no reason to defame someone. But uh, I knew someone who grew up with him. They were best friends from kindergarten, they were best friends growing up. uh, and God smiled at this playwright and he became extremely famous, one of the most successful in America. The moment he became successful, he dropped his friend like a hot potato. They were friends like 30 years, best friends. It just shows what kind of human being he is. It's not a human being. With all his success, the guy is i I don't want to use the word what he is, but it means he's not a real person. Suddenly he gets to your head. And it does very funny things to people. It gets to your head. And suddenly I can't talk to you. And everything is about image. And everything is... In other words, what happened? You're no longer a real human being. A down-to-earth, genuine human being. So then money is a curse. It's not a blessing. Money gets to your head. And it changes you. And you become coarse and crass. And entitled and selfish. and Then... It's not a blessing. It's a curse. Hashem did not give you all that money out of His love. And the country, out of His hatred to you. So He's throwing you all this wealth. Because it won't do you any good. It's not a blessing. But someone who Hashem loves, Hashem wants it to be a blessing. He's not just going to give you without calculation, just throw you in abundance work for it, you have to earn it, you have to deserve it, you have to be worthy of it, you have to be ready for it. Nothing just happens. And then it's a blessing. Then I can contain the blessing. I can receive it, and it won't get to my head. Okay, and now, on top of page 103, now we get back to the main point of this whole letter. He started out to explain the teaching of the Baal Shemt. So first, he explained about anger. He says, he goes back to the beginning of what he said in the beginning of the letter, that whoever gets angry, it's the equivalent of idolatry.
0: After these words and this truth, which are manifest and known to all, let us return to the original subject concerning anger, where a person who is angry is likened to an idolater. This is so only with regard to mundane matters, for everything is in the hands of heaven except for the fear of heaven. Since everything is in Hashem's hands, there is no reason to become angry. However, with regard to matters involving the fear of heaven, Anger does have
1: a place. The only reason you're not supposed to get angry is because whatever happens to you, there really is no freedom of choice. No one has a freedom of choice to harm you. So if anything happens to me, anything negative happens to me, it's by divine providence. This is what Hashem wanted it to happen. However, when it comes to moral decisions, we have freedom of choice. So if you see another person making an immoral choice making an immoral an immoral decision not something that affects me but I see someone about to violate a prohibition to act immorally or to do an injustice or to harm someone else then not only do I have a, have a permission to get angry I have, a, have an obligation because I can stop that person If I see an injustice, I should get angry. I should get mad. The prophets were angry. When the prophets saw saw unrighteousness, when they saw corruption, they saw the rich taking advantage of the poor, and they saw immorality, they got very angry. And they rebuked them. And they tried to change them and tried to stop them. There's no fatalism. There's no room for, well, this is what Hashem wants and who am I to interfere? Whatever God wants is what's going to happen. That's true. Whatever God wants is going to happen when it comes to anything material. But when it comes to spiritual things or moral choices, Hashem gives us the freedom of choice. So if I can stop it and I can change it, I have an obligation to stop it and to change it. So if Hashem shows me something immoral, shows me someone's about to do something immoral or do some, an act of unrighteousness, an act of evil, Hashem wants me to respond, wants me to get involved, wants me to get angry, wants me to take it to heart, to take it personally and take it to heart and to mix in and to do something, to rebuke that person tried to get him to stop it. so he's, he's clarifying that there's two different types of situations it's one thing if I'm getting angry at someone who hurt me once I realize that I would have been hurt either way, has nothing to do with the other person, one way or the other, Hashem wanted this to happen, it's going to happen, because that's something physical that's not, that's not a question of choice But when it comes to spirituality, when it comes to moral choices, we have freedom of choice. You don't just say everything is in the hands of God. Then No, everything is in the hands of God except matters of morality. Hashem left it up to us and gave us the freedom of choice.
0: Hence, with respect to heavenly matters, to ward a fellow Jew from transgressing a prohibition, the reason stated does not apply, for these matters are not in Hashem's hands, but in man's. As it is written, and Moshe was angry.
1: A few times it says Moshe got angry because he thought that something wrong, the Jewish people did something wrong, or Aaron and the sons did something wrong, and the soldiers did something wrong. He got angry. How dare, they, how dare they, they, they did something wrong? That's allowed. Yes, it does say because he got angry, he forgot the law, but nevertheless, the anger itself Moshe is showing us the way, and Moshe and all future prophets, that when you see something immoral, Hashem wants you to get angry. So there is a room for anger. That's why there's no prohibition, don't get angry. Like there's a prohibition, don't kill and don't don't steal. It's not an absolute. There are times when you should get angry. And if you don't get angry, something is wrong with you when you see an injustice about to to go down and you can do something about it you can't just be passive and say God is running this world and I'll surrender to whatever God wants no Hashem wants me to intervene and wants me to become active and wants me to get angry and wants me to stop it and it's my anger that can stop it when the person sees people respond to emotions. Emotions are very powerful. When a person sees that you're angry, that will give him pause. If everyone is cold and indifferent and no one cares less, then the, the person will continue on his immoral path. But when he sees the person getting angry, suddenly he'll stop. He realizes the severity of the matter. He realizes how important it is. It's important enough for you to get angry? not even affecting you personally why are you getting angry it has nothing to do with you I'm taking advantage of someone else why are you getting angry I'm about to do, to, to do a sin why are you getting angry what does it have to do with you live and let live why am I bothering you he sees how angry you're getting and how upset you are and how they give him pause realize that this is a terrible thing I'm about to do So the anger is a very key ingredient. It's very important. You know, a teacher never gets angry or a parent never at least fakes the anger. At least the child thinks they're angry. At least pretends to be angry. What are you telling your child? That there's, there's there's nothing that upsets you. There's no behavior that upsets you. There's nothing that... There's no red lines that... So then it's no big deal they have to learn there are big deals there are things that are a big deal and don't you dare do this how dare you do that most of you get angry how dare you if nothing gets you angry then the truth is nothing gets you excited either <laughs> it's two sides of the same coin emotions are very powerful It you care you're responding you're alive you have no react you're playing dead you don't react to what's going on around you there's nothing that gets you angry and there's nothing that that makes you happy you're not a robot so if something happens to me personally I'm hurt but I realize I'm getting angry at the person who hurt me is foolish he had nothing to do with it. It came directly from Hashem. So well, what am I getting angry? But there's a place for anger. Anger means I'm alive. Anger means I'm, I'm, I care and I'm responding. And if I see something immoral, I see something evil, and I, I respond to it. And I protest. And a very strong emotional reaction. So that's a good thing. So, Hashem wants this.
0: This was because Hashem forced him to encounter this mitzvah of warding a fellow Jew from transgressing a prohibition in order to make him meritorious. Thus, this situation is obviously quite different from being angry at someone because of harm or offense. But this applies only when one is able to prevent transgression by his wrath and anger against his fellow man. In such a case, he is permitted to become angry as did Moshe. However, when he is unable to change the situation, as in the case of the uncircumcised heathen, who talks and confuses him while he is praying, the question then arises, what is this that Hashem has done to him that a Gentile should disrupt his
1: prayer? This is getting to the teachings of the B'Hashem Tev. Baal taught that if someone is disturbing you from your prayer, you should realize that the Shekhinah, Hashem's presence, the Shekhinah, is really speaking through this non-Jew. And the whole purpose is that you should pray even more intensely. Because again, the question is, why did Hashem, what's the message here? What's Hashem trying to tell me? Everything is a message from Hashem. So when I see a Jew misbehaving, the message is clear. Stop him. Get angry. Get involved. Rebuke him. Show that you care. Get emotional. But when it won't help, because it's someone who's an anti Semite who's disturbing me. There's nothing I can say to him, there's nothing I can do to him that's going to stop in the country. Why would Hashem allow this? Why would Hashem allow this person to disturb my prayer? What's the divine intent here? What's the divine message? So the Vah says, there is a divine message. And you know what the divine message is? Hashem wants to take you to the next level. It's time for you to start praying with such intensity, with such focus, until you become oblivious to your surroundings. You become so immersed in your prayer, you become completely oblivious to your surroundings. And that was the whole purpose. And that's the real message. So who put it into this uh, into this Gentile's head to disturb you? Hashem. But not for the reason that he thinks. To disturb you. On the contrary. Hashem says, that's what you call prayer? No, no, no. You're ready for the next level. Come on, you've graduated. I want a real prayer. Let's get some intensity here. Let's get... Turn up the heat, turn up the flame. Come on, you're ready to to take it to the next level. You're not in kindergarten anymore. You're not in the junior leagues. Now it's time to take it to the major leagues. I want a real prayer, and you're ready for it. Hashem is telling you you're ready for it. You just have to learn how to interpret the message. Something gets lost in the translation. It appears to be opposition, and you grow weak and defensive, and maybe I should stop praying, and you become discouraged and demoralized. On the contrary, it's all divine. Everything is divine. There is nothing else but the divine. There is no two sides. There is no losing side, winning side. All there is is one side. It's Hashem's side, and you're on the right side. And this whole message here is only here to strengthen you and to give you courage and strength and to go deeper inside until... Opposition will just melt away. Because there never was any real opposition. All there was is really, all there is, was and will be is Hashem.
0: This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com.